Good to see each of you here this day, and if you're a visitor among us, we're glad to have you here and hope that you'll be back on many future occasions to worship with us. A few announcements to share with you today. Um, wonderful Wednesdays for Children continue this week with a luau. Kids are invited to join Mrs. Katie and Miss Leanna at the church from 9 to noon for fun games, crafts, and snacks. Register online at greerchurch.com or through the church bulletin or um, in the, around here today, I think, Family Life Center, I know there's a place to register. We'll have our second family fun day at Lake, at, uh, Lake Robinson this afternoon from 5 until 8. Join us for food, fellowship, and fun. Bring a side dish or dessert. Meat and drinks will be provided, and the Methodist men will be churning homemade ice cream. So hope you could be there. That's out by Rocks, if you know that area of uh, Lake Robinson. Also want to bring you an update on some of our folks in the hospital. Um, Wilma Keller had a fall and is at the Greer Hospital with a broken hip. And I think at this time, they're not planning to do surgery, but just trying to help her uh, recover and hope to get her back home soon. Uh, Wade Kinnett is at Greenville Hospital following a couple of falls, and he probably will be going to rehab tomorrow. John Jameson is not here today. Uh, interesting, John never does anything like everybody else. In his case, his pacemaker battery went out on him, so he had to get a new pacemaker. Yesterday afternoon, kind of late, the doctor said he had settings on that pacemaker. It could go from a very aggressive to, to conservative, and I said, please don't set it any more conservative than the last pacemaker. But um, anyway, John's doing quite well and may even be with us this afternoon at the, at the lake. Uh, the Sims twin girls are growing and doing well, up to about four pounds now. Uh, soon we'll be able to go home. We're uh, maybe a month away from that, but still every day gets us a, uh, a day closer. The administrative board will be meeting uh, right after this service, and we remind you of that. Uh, other many announcements in the bulletin. Hope that you'll be taking a look at... Uh, at those uh, announcements there and hope to see many of you tonight out at the lake. And now let us together worship God.
Let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffering and conscious of was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From the day she shall come to church to wait I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of life, and the life of the rest. Amen. Be seated, please. This time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join me for a few moments of sharing. get to come to wonderful Wednesdays you haven't been able to come well I was going to, I was going to say this last week somebody told me to come run quick because we had a special guest reading to the children it was some somebody the clown I don't I forget the name but it turned out it was the right Reverend Dennis Lee sitting back here dressed up as a clown and I knew that when Dennis, when Dennis was a district superintendent, we would hear about appointments. Some of us would say, wonder what those clowns have been up to down there in Columbia. But uh, anyway, Dennis, that was, that was pretty amazing. And I know the children enjoyed that. Um, one of the things that we are uh, getting ready to do this next week, of course, is July 4th, remembering the birthday of our, of our country. One of the things I'm learning about some of my family that came here from England back in the 1600s is that they came as something called indentured servants. Now let me tell you what that is. That's when you're real poor and you go to some rich person and say, I'll be your slave for five years if you will take me with you when you go to, to America or whatever else. It's called indentured servants. And a lot of my Holt family got to this country as indentured servants. And that means that for five years or ten years or however long, uh, they were practically slaves to the rich person that they worked for. I thought about that when I was reading the, the passage from the book of Romans today that talked about slavery and freedom. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul says that some people become slaves of bad habits and sinful ways. And that's a sad thing to become a slave to anybody, but much less to become a slave of a bad habit. And it's probably a, a real, real good thing for you to remember as you're growing up that, that you make wise decisions and form good habits because we people form bad habits mighty easily and we become enslaved to ways that uh, hurt ourselves and hurt others. But Paul also said, you can become a slave of God, a slave of righteousness, 
And that's kind of good, too, to make up your mind to ask God to be your master and say, I'll be your servant, I'll be your slave. Uh, let me do what you want me to do, O oh God. And we can be God's servant, God's slave instead. And that's a, that's a good thing, forming good habits and learning to love people and taking care of others and following the ways of Jesus. So I guess as you grow up, you'll have a choice as to who you're going to let be your master, whether you'll be a master of sinful temptation in, in uh, those ways or, or that you'll be instead uh, servants of God. I heard about a man one time who had uh, twin dogs. Now, we got twins sitting up here. Um, but uh, had puppies that were born at the same time, same mom. And one of them was a real, real sweet puppy. And the other one was a mean old dog. And uh, that you'd reach out to pet one of them, and it would just wag its tail. You'd reach out to pet the other one, and you'd about get your hand bitten off. And somebody asked the man, said, oh, those puppies look identical. Said, wonder which one's going to grow up to be the biggest, the mean one or the sweet one? And the wise owner said, I guess whichever one I feed the most. Well, we've got this desire in us sometimes to do wrong and a desire in us to do right. And whichever one we feed the most may decide whose slave we are. And if we'll feed the good part, the God... Um, uh, leadership part of us instead of temptation we certainly will um, that can grow to be the biggest let's have a prayer thank you Lord for living in us so that we might have something to counteract the impulses we have to go the wrong way help us to always be your servants your slaves so that in all that we do we might walk with Jesus in whose name we pray amen Thank you. Our Old Testament reading is one that is familiar to you, and I grew up hearing a story that in my home church, one time when this story was being read, it was being read so beautifully and so movingly that a man in the congregation hollered out to stop Abraham. Um, uh, really got involved in the story. It certainly is a, a, a challenging kind of a story. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. 
he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offerings? Abraham replied, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 13 on page 746. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as together we share God's word responsively. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. But I trusted in your steadfast love. I will sing to the Lord. In our epistle reading for the day in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. 
Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For, for sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer, your, offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here ends the lesson.
Memorial Church will give you about nine years to grow up, and then we put you to work. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Beautiful, beautiful song. And we've always thought you were adopted because you've got talent. <laughs> On that note, let us join our hearts in prayer. Lord, you have said a little child will lead us. So we're thankful for this. We're thankful for the faith that we're seeing coming to life in the children of our church and how they inspire us and help us to experience the good news in a fresh way as they sing and perform and conduct themselves in various programs here at the church. And we are so grateful for what you're doing in our church in these days especially that you are drawing people here to us that might share the journey with us in life and that we might together proclaim the good news of faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are thankful that you have rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and have taken us into your kingdom of light. We are thankful that you came to us when we were in danger of becoming slaves of sin, forming habits and ways that would be destructive for ourselves and for others and on a path that would lead us forever away from you. We're grateful that Jesus came and we were touched by the depth of his love for us and something about that good story about your love in Jesus Christ won our hearts and caused us to want to become Jesus's followers, Jesus's slaves, if necessary, to be able to walk with you all the days of our lives. Thank you that we can grow in our relationship with you to where we become slaves of righteousness forming helpful attitudes and habits that will help us not only to bless our own lives, but to bless those around us in our families and in our friends and in our communities. We give you thanks for this, and we are glad, oh God, that if we have to be slaves to someone, we can be your slaves. We can be slaves of your love and grace this day. Help us, Lord, to so recognize the love that you have for us that we will feel such a depth of love that we will love you in return and that for the rest of our lives we will be compelled and restrained by the love of Christ in our hearts to follow your will and your way. Lord, we've mentioned a lot of your children this day, members of this church of advanced years who are in hospital beds recovering from falls and illnesses. We pray for these children of God, fellow travelers with us, asking your touch of healing to abide upon them this day for we ask this in all things, in the name of Jesus, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving. <clears throat>
The gospel reading for the day is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Jesus is speaking and he says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth he will certainly not lose his reward. Here ends the lesson. Bob Dylan certainly is one of the more prolific poets of our time. We may not think of him as a poet because he set his poetry to music, but his folk songs fueled a lot of social changes in this country from the civil rights movement and the anti-war movements of the late 1960s, among other things. But in 1979, after a time of personal spiritual renewal, Dylan released an album that had a song on it entitled, Gotta Serve Somebody, that said, you're gonna have to serve somebody. You're gonna have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Dylan wasn't the first one to state those sentiments. The Apostle Paul says pretty much the same thing in Romans chapter six. He says that we can choose to become a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. We can be a slave to law or to grace to death or to life. We can choose to become a slave to God, but we're gonna be somebody's slave. It's interesting to me as I think about the different disciples that the Lord chose to see why God pursued and chose Paul to be an apostle or a slave. That was Paul's favorite designation of himself. To be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus chose simple fishermen and merchants. And their writings are wonderful to read in our New Testament, but they don't have the depth of thought contained in Paul's writing because he was a much more learned man. To guide the church as it began to develop its core theology, God chose someone who was greatly educated one who spoke several languages fluently, one who had attended the finest schools of his day. And so Paul was the one who was selected to write most of our New Testament, explaining how a Christian was supposed to live in our relationship with the law of Moses, in our relationship to sin, in our relationship with God's grace. The problem that confronted the early church was that some people were misunderstanding its, uh, the message of the church and what it meant to be saved by grace alone. If the law had failed to provide salvation, and if salvation depended entirely upon what Jesus did for us on the cross, 
And if we are now free from that religious system that demanded our strictest allegiance to rules and regulations, did that mean that people were now free to sin all they wanted to? Does grace mean that we can now live however we please and sin all we want to? Or as Paul phrased it, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? But that is exactly what the early church was accused of teaching. And some Christians did so misunderstand the gospel that they fell very heavily into immoral practices as a result of this misunderstanding. To show just how distasteful Paul found this concept, he used a very strong and hated metaphor, slavery, to describe what was happening to people who were yielding themselves to every uh, human vice that came along. The people were becoming slaves to a power of sin within them, Paul said. And how could someone whose freedom Jesus had just purchased for them on the cross now allow themselves to become enslaved by anything ever again. Sin, you see, can be a very discouraging reality in our Christian lives. Many, too, many new converts to Christianity assume that faith in Christ will cause all of their sinful impulses to just go away. And they are very disappointed and disillusioned when they discover that that is not the case. One of our historic baptismal prayers asked for God to grant that all sinful affections may die in this thy servant who's being baptized. But you and I know that that's a prayer God answers every day, little by little, and not all at once. It never completely goes away. Sin is a little bit like a fire. You might contain it you might limit its spread, but a high wind can come along and fan those flames, and all too quickly sin in our lives can get out of hand so very easily. Reverend Marion Swords, a Furman graduate and a Presbyterian pastor, writes, Paul recognizes that the power of sin is still active in the world of the believers so that Christians are confronted with the real peril of falling back into the submission to sin that will result in the Christians following the baser instincts of human existence rather than following God's will and God's leadership. Sin also is a little bit like a fire in that it is always progressive, meaning that unless it is well contained in our lives, it can get bigger and bigger. Bad habits don't grow stronger unless we continue to use them, and then they do grow stronger. Sin will grow even in an environment that's basically hostile to it. I was looking in my yard the other day. It's been pretty dry. Uh, my flowers aren't growing. My shrubs aren't growing. My grass isn't growing, but guess what is? Weeds, like crazy. Weeds will grow even when uh, there's very little rain. And sin is like that. It doesn't take much for it to find a place to grow. Some years ago, when I was first diagnosed with high blood pressure, or high blood as they call it out in the country where I was then, 
A doctor suggested that perhaps I was trying a bit too hard to control myself and my emotions, biting my tongue a bit too much, and that maybe I would be a little healthier and would lose some high blood pressure if I would find some healthy ways to let off some steam. So I tried that. The problem is that once you form a habit of letting off a little steam, you want to do it more and more. I finally decided I was better off having high blood pressure and less release of steam as a habit, or else it could have become very, uh, very embarrassing. I could see myself picking up the phone and say, hello, church trustees. Yes, could you send the locksmith down to the parsonage again? Yes, they changed the locks on the door once again. No, it wasn't Penny this time, it was the children. You know, I could just see that happening. Sin only grows bigger if we don't keep it on a tight leash. It can enslave us. I heard a Christian ma magician speak some years ago to some teenagers. He told them about how he became addicted to drugs. He said to them, the first two times I used drugs, I decided when and where I would use them. But from the third time until I entered a treatment program, the drugs took over and told me when I would use them and where I would use them, it was like slavery. Paul said, sin shall not be your master because we're under grace now. Paul's answer to how to avoid being under sin's control was for us to become the slave of something else. We've got to be somebody's slave. We've got to serve somebody. Better off to be a slave of righteousness, Paul said. But how do we accomplish that? Some people, especially those first covenant people, our Hebrew ancestors, thought that the answer was to be found by very strict observance to all the rules and the law of Moses. And I think today when you and I make a mistake, it's natural for us to retreat back from that limb that we've crawled out on, to, to crawl back to the, to the trunk of the tree, um, and to start living a much stricter life for a while because we frightened ourselves a bit. And that's what many first century Christians saw as the answer for those who were misusing grace. They wanted to tighten up everybody's behavior just a little bit to continue living very strictly under the law of Moses. And I'm sure that you know some people who attend churches that are a whole lot stricter than the United Methodist Church is. Like one church sign I saw that said, we don't smoke, drink, dance, or chew, or run around with those who do. But a legalistic life has its own set of problems. First, that religion doesn't have a lot of joy in it. And the continued success of people in that style of church largely, largely depends upon them having a preacher who hollers at them every week in his hellfire and brimstone sermons. It is a guilt-ridden and fear-driven religion. And that style of faith tends to produce two kinds of people, very self-righteous saints and outcast sinners who don't measure up. But Paul said that living under the law is counterproductive in that the law has a way of inciting our flesh to commit the very sins that it prohibits. 
Because we are sinners who have inherited the basic alienation from God that's been passed down to us from the original human pair, hearing a commandment does not make us want to obey it. It actually makes us want to disobey it. Someone has said that the best way to get a child to do something that you don't want them to do is to tell them that they can't do it. They'll find a way. So the law tells us what we should do and what we shouldn't do, but rather than helping us accomplish those things, it produces a counterproductive reaction in our human nature that defeats the good intention of the law. For this reason, Paul did not encourage people to become enslaved to the law of Moses as a way of becoming a slave of righteousness. There's a better way, Paul said, and that better way was to allow God's love to be our master, to have God's grace to become our slave master. We can allow the love of God to so rule our lives that we become enslaved to God's love. Paul was sure that if we really understand how much we are loved by God, we would love God in return. And that love in our heart would change our behavior because no one really wants to hurt somebody that loves them. Slavery to God's grace could produce an ever-growing, progressively stronger righteousness within us. Of course, with grace ruling the day, there's always a chance that someone will take advantage of God's leniency to let it be an occasion for slackness and sin. But many, many other people have found that same leniency to be a, a reason to form good habits and to excel in goodness, to use that wonderful faith and grace as an opportunity to form good and healthy habits. In his book, When the Bad Times Are Over for Good, Baptist pastor Gerald Mann tells about a time he was learning Greek when he was in seminary. I also had to learn a little Greek when I was in, in seminary. As we say, I was introduced to a little Greek and he ran a restaurant down in Columbia. But uh, it's a tough language to learn because to begin with, you've got to learn an entirely different uh, alphabet. It's not ABCs at all. You've got to learn this new alphabet. Gerald Mann said on the first day of his class, the professor who had never given anyone a grade higher than a B said to the class, this is the grade book. There's never been an A entered in this book. No one has ever deserved it or earned it. But this year is going to be different. I have already entered your grade in the grade book. It makes no difference how little or how much you study, your grades will not change. Everyone in this class will get an A. Man said that yes, there was one guy who took his gracious A and disappeared. But he said the rest of us gave ourselves completely to the joy of learning a new language, freed from a worry about grades and failure. He said, I learned more Greek than I thought was possible in that atmosphere of grace. And then Gerald Mann adds, the taskmaster had taken away our fear of failure from the start. We got an A simply for enrolling and that gave us power to perform. 
a freedom to surpass our usual limits. God gives you an A simply for enrolling in his discipleship class. When you sign on and trust and follow him in Christ, you passed with honors. That frees us to live a life of love. Several years ago, I saw a, a DVD on television about a man named Benjamin Zander, who is a professor of music up at the New England Conservatory in Boston. At the beginning of the fall semester on that, that he was showing us on that uh, movie, that DVD, Dr. Zander noticed that his students were all excellent students, but they were all so uptight about performing their music perfectly and thereby earning good grades that their anxiety was causing them to fail. Trying to perform perfectly was actually keeping them from playing up to their full potential. So I watched that TV program as he critiqued one student after she had played her violin for the class. Her performance was pretty good, I thought, but it did seem very stiff and you could see the look on her face that she was very nervous. There wasn't much feeling there. So Dr. Zander asked her to please tell the class and to tell him why she had ever decided to study the violin in the first place. And she began to talk about her love for music in general and for the sound of a violin in particular. And the more he encouraged her to talk, the more emotional she got about her love for music and the violin. Then Dr. Zander told her, the thing that's holding you back is your fear of failure. So we're going to take that away from you right now. It is only September, but I promise you that you will earn an A in this course, so you don't need to worry about that anymore. Now I want you to play that piece again while you think about how you felt the first time you heard a violin play and when you fell in love with music. Play that for us again. This time as we, looking at the TV and the class there on the, TV, on the DVD, heard this young lady play her music again, this time it was obvious that it came from her heart, so much so that the other students in the class began to weep as they listened to this beautiful music coming from the heart of this young lady. For 35 years now, Dr. Zander has been practicing a gracious uh, approach to learning music, freeing students from just legalistically and, and ritually learning how to play notes correct just to earn a good grade to whether they play their best because they've been freed to express the love in their hearts for the music that they have living in their hearts. That is the power of grace. God has given you and me eternal life. We didn't deserve it and we never will. We didn't earn it and we never will. But if you and I will allow grace to be our master, we can be freed from fear, free to love God in return, free to live a life of love toward God and our fellow human beings. We can live our lives not legalistically and fearfully, but in such a way that expresses the love that lives down in your heart, a love for God that is already there. That's the kind of life that glorifies Jesus. 
May we all become slaves of God's grace. Amen.